Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to episode 6 of series 2 of From Page to Practice. I just want to start off this episode with an apology as episodes have not been released with their usual regularity of late. It turns out that making a podcast which relies on the voices of busy professionals during a global pandemic is actually quite a challenge. What a surprise. However, I do need to say a huge thank you to all of you as the downloads of the podcast seem to still be going strong regardless and that's down to you downloading and sharing with friends and colleagues and that is what keeps me going in times where I am tempted to just give up. I've got some great books lined up as we go into 2021 and I'll talk about them and how or why you should get involved later on. So on to today's episode. Today we're talking about A Curriculum of Hope by Deborah Kidd. So we'll kick off with Deborah telling us a little about her book. Hello, my name's Deborah Kidd and I'm here to talk about my book, Curriculum of Hope. Um, It's a book about curriculum, but it's about more than curriculum, I think. It's really a book about how we weave curriculum into pedagogy and how we bring the two together to make children feel like what they're learning is relevant to them in the here and now as well as preparing them for a future. So I think one of the problems we have in education at the moment is that we are quite relentlessly focused on future testing. If you work hard in this, if you achieve X, Y and Z, if you follow this success criteria, then you'll pass the test. Seems to be the mantra that we present learning to children under. And I'm sure we don't intend to do that, and I'm sure that's not how we, why we went into teaching. I'm pretty sure it's not why we went into teaching in the first place. But when you have a system that holds you accountable and them accountable and your school accountable to an end point of a test result, the temptation to teach to the test becomes great. And it's this temptation that te- to teach to the test that has led to what you might think of as an ironic response from Ofsted, um, that we are doing too much teaching to, uh, teaching to the test and that therefore we should focus on curriculum. And I'm sure it hasn't escaped the notice of most teachers that the reason that so many schools were panicked into teaching to the test is because they were held accountable to the test by the very body who's now criticising them for doing that. So although I think the Ofsted frameworks to be welcomed in terms of focusing and attention on curriculum, I think it's misguided in suggesting that this is something we've not thought about before. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, you know, I I was working in schools and thinking about the curriculum that I presented to children. I was attending conferences, listening to people like Mick Waters, Tim Brighouse, um, talking about curriculum and the importance of experiences and entitlements for children, about broadening out our view of curriculum to incorporate broader skills around character and competencies and attitudes. And even, you know, back in 2000, when the A-levels and AS-levels were reformed, we were talking about curriculum and what we wanted in a curriculum and how best to uh, chunk up, if you like, an an examination syllabus. So these conversations certainly haven't been new. Um, And they're they're not something that uh, we should be afraid of having. I think what they have done, though, is perhaps brought to a new audience or a younger audience the idea that curriculum is something that's malleable and adaptable. And in the book, what I wanted to do was to show how much choice we have over the content of the curriculum, in spite of the fact that we sometimes feel like that's being managed for us. So I guess the book is really an opportunity for me to share my experiences, share my stories, share my thinking around curriculum. The idea that we have um, an intended curriculum given to us by a government uh, as a national curriculum or an international curriculum in some cases, 
but that we always have breathing space around that curriculum to put into place the things that are important to us as a community and the things that we've identified our particular children in our settings need. And for that reason, in Curriculum of Hope, I set out five principles for curriculum planning. One of them is credibility, which is the content, the knowledge we put into the curriculum, which matters and we need to think about it and plan for it. The other is coherence, and, and often I talk about this in terms of sequencing and progression, but I think it's also about coherence of ideas, coherence of intention, coherence of values. Um, there's then compassion, and compassion for me is not just about teaching children to be compassionate, although that's important, but it's also about bringing compassion into the curriculum design itself so that it's written with the intention of being compassionate towards children. And to that end, that it takes into account their well-being, their mental health, their current situation, um, and perhaps encourages teachers to think beyond activities like, um, well, we need to put extra maths and English intervention in here for this child because they're struggling. So we'll take them out of art or sport or drama because they those subjects don't matter. Well, if we had a compassionate curriculum, we know they do matter because they have a significant impact on children's mental health. Um, and then we have creativity, which in a nutshell, I, I think of in terms of fluency, being able to apply ideas from familiar contexts into unfamiliar contexts and allowing children to wade through iterative difficulty um, to come up with creative solutions. So it's not just artwork, but it's, it, it extends across the entire curriculum. And then finally, community. And community incorporates aspects of cultural capital. It's about the experiences that we give children, taking them out to galleries and museums, but also forests and beaches, giving them a whole sensory and cultural experience that extends beyond the school, but also being of service to that community, going out and contributing to that community and bringing people in from the community who are capable of critiquing the children's work to heighten their motivation and to heighten their sense of worth. So those are the five principles that are kind of unpicked in the book and then lots of different examples are given in the book because what I want teachers to feel when they read this and, and leaders to feel is that in spite of the fact that we feel like we're operating in a very constrained system, and, and there's no doubt we are, the, you know, the English system is particularly constrained, but there's always possibility, there's always hope, and there's always scope for imagination. And what I hope that people come out with at the end of this book are some ideas about how they can free that imagination and use it to build a curriculum that makes teachers feel joyful about their teaching and makes children feel that their learning matters. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Deborah, for that introduction to your book to give the listeners a flavour. Now we're going to hear from four readers. First up is Annabelle. Hi everyone, my name's Annabelle Atkinson and I'm Director of English at the Scarborough University Technical College for 14 to 19 year olds. I am, as Director of English, um, I am very interested in the current developments with curriculum and the way that our thinking about curriculum has rightly um, changed and become really explicit what you know what do we what are we teaching why are we teaching it what order are we teaching it what do we need to cut out there's so many questions and it's like falling down um the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland so as many of you listening to this I am sure have probably devoured many many um edgy books on not just the curriculum but all of the different teaching styles and theories um, at the moment. I, I, I devour these books. I've read many, probably all of the books actually, so far on curriculum. But one that I hadn't read, um, this was during lockdown, was um, Deborah Kidd's A Curriculum of Hope. And it, it there was no reason that I hadn't read it, except the fact, if I'm honest, I hadn't come across it um, originally. And I saw the title and just that word hope, 
I think maybe being in lockdown, thinking about, well, you know, what is the curriculum going to look like now? That word hope made me order the book because I think that's what we all need right now. Um, and I certainly needed it at that point. And I was really excited to see what this curriculum of hope actually was. Now, this book went way beyond what I expected. I expected it to be a great read. I expected it to be helpful and, and give me a few things to think about. But this book did more than that. This book's actually... I actually almost cried at times reading this book because it really resonated with me emotionally. What is wonderful about this book is that many of the books that are out there currently, which are superb and are referenced, and well, it's littered with references throughout this book to fantastic um, educationalists um, on curriculum. But what's different about this book is that it reads like a story. I mean, you know, we all know, you know, how Dan, in Daniel Willingham's book, he said that, you know, our our brains um, privilege stories. And Deborah Kidd's really taken that. And she's proven that that's right, because this is a story of the curriculum. It's not necessarily just an account of what a curriculum should be. All, all of the ideas that Deborah explores in this book are based on actual experiences in the classroom that she herself has experienced, either by delivering those lessons or by watching others. And I think that's what's beautiful about this book. You know, as a classroom teacher... That's the difficulty. How you know you can think about curriculum as much as you want, but how how do you then tr get that curriculum from a whole school level to a department level to the classroom level? And that's what this book has really helped me with, and really helped me think about. And it's extremely student centred. That's, I feel like I've come out of this book and learned so many new students, um, learned their personalities, learned their achievements and celebrated those achievements with them. Deborah uses this um, sort of motif of um, gardening throughout, throughout this book. And that works really well because... Because she continues that, like I said, it has this lovely narrative feel to it. And and just making us think about the curriculum in terms of um, looking after a garden, seeing the students as the seeds that are growing and blossoming in that garden and how, depending on what age they are, you know, or what type of, of student per, or person they are, they need, they need different help. And... Again, just making me think of it as a garden, it made the curriculum real. It made it palpable. It made it something that I could actually visualise beyond just the the very dry research which is out there and obviously very, very important and useful. But I just feel like this builds on that. So it's it's got the research in there, but... What it's got on top of that is then actual experiences linked to that research. So Curriculum of Hope then, Deborah has come up with five pillars of her curriculum. Coherence, credibility, creativity, compassion and community. I particularly like the compassion and community aspect of these five pillars because again there is such there's so many sort of discussions now about whether or not teachers are there for um a student and to build relationships with a student or whether we're there to just teach them the knowledge you know is it about how we make them feel or is it about what we teach them 
Well, actually, having this five pillars and including compassion and community, it really just, it, it makes it very, very clear that actually when you are considering creating a curriculum for your um, department, for your classroom, there has to be this element of compassion and community within it. And it's not separate from just teaching the subject knowledge. It, it is integral to a all-rounded curriculum and an experience for students so just briefly then coherence you know there's so much out there about this already in fact Mary Maya is and rightly so used in Deborah's um, work referenced many many times particularly for this idea of coherence about the idea of the curriculum being planned and platted so that it connects in sensible and logical ways allowing children to build an understanding of ideas concepts chronology and themes and to better understand them because they are encountered in a way that makes those connections explicit and relevant Credibility. The curriculum is clear about what children will know, the proper propositional knowledge, and be able to do procedural knowledge, and how these elements link to a prescribed national or regional curriculum. We've got creativity, another almost another concept actually, which on Twitter, if to talk about creativity is at your own risk at the moment. Um, but it's here. Deborah has put it in the five pillars. And she's right. The curriculum offers the child the right to experience, develop and practice creativity as an entitlement. Its view of creativity extends beyond making and doing in an artistic sense and also allows for the development of fluency of knowledge and ideas through a process of interpretation, experimentation, connection and play. And she then gives later on um, an example about this um, in the museum. And this is what's wonderful. She, every single pillar is supported with an actual classroom experience. Real teachers, real students and the effect that it has. And that's what I love about it. Four, compassion. The culture, the curriculum uses a range of experiences, including stories, to allow children to develop empathy with other points of view and perspectives and to use that empathy to move into active compassion. As you know, compassion is symbiotic for the child. The child is encouraged to be compassionate as an individual, but rather than this being placed in a passive and harmful space of powerlessness, they're actually encouraged through activities and outcomes to be an agent of change. And again, it's this idea of the curriculum not just being limited to the classroom, but for the knowledge that's imparted um, through this curriculum to students, for them to actually go and use that in the real world um, and not just use it to get a job, not just use it... Um, you know, to have a conversation, to go on a quiz show, to, to know this knowledge, but actually to use it to change society for the better. And I, and I just think that's so important. So when I've been looking at my curriculum, I've been thinking to myself, where can I teach compassion? How can I teach compassion through the texts that the students have to study? And how can I motivate them and give them those skills and that knowledge to actually become powerful agents of change in, let's be honest, a very fractured society at the moment? And finally, the fifth pillar is community. Um, and this is uh, the idea here is that it's built with the broader community beyond the school in mind. So it might be that we invite community members in, we might build links um, with charities, um, arranged enriching trips. But a curriculum, Deborah says, really rooted in community does not simply take advantage of what the community has to offer. It allows children to be of service to that community and shaping its future, which in many ways links directly with what we've just looked at compassion in fact what these five pillars are brilliant for is the fact that through having coherence making sure that what we're teaching is credible 
That then allows us to be able to teach uh, the children to be creative. And by being creative, that helps them then build that compassion, which then leads to that community link. So all of these five pillars are sequenced in a particular way and are all interlinked. They're not separate pillars. To have a curriculum of hope, we need to have all five pillars pillars and I love the fact that the fifth pillar ends in community because that's where the real hope lies it lies in the fact that we are going to be able to make a change in the future so looking at my context of having a cohort that starts in year 10 it's very difficult to for me to build a curriculum on something which I actually don't know what they've already achieved or and studied necessarily. They come from all different types of schools. We don't have a particular feeder school. The transition process is very, very quick. Um, and I can't always guarantee that their key stage three experience, um, let alone their key stage two experience, has, has been the quality that I would, you know, wish it to be for that for that student. And the temptation is that they could come in and my curriculum could be very, very limited to passing the exams. But I I can't do that. I have to develop these students um, so that they become powerful agents of change, like Deborah Kidd advocates in her book, A Curriculum of Hope. And reading Deborah's book, it... (laughs) really took me back to maybe some of that part of me that I have lost teaching it's it's become a two-way thing at the moment you're either a progressive or a traditionalist apparently I've been teaching for 14 years so I've been in 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 that time when you know you would set up a crime scene and have them as journalists or FBI agents trying to solve a crime to write a newspaper article you know, I'd be the one that would be putting on the show, singing, all singing, all dancing, nearly killing myself every lesson. Um, and I always got excellent results. But over time, looking at research, you know, again, following different people on Twitter, the same people on Twitter who have come across different pieces of research, I found myself changing and becoming, if I hate to say this, maybe more traditional, if that's what we want to, to see it as. I started to teach in rows. Um, I started to use visualisers and be brave enough to be the one at the front talking, wasn't worried about being cut off, about discovery learning, etc. We we know what you know you we all know about that. Um and that really started um, just as I became director of English, actually. Um, but reading this book, it's reminded me that actually not everything that I did in in 10 years of my teaching was wrong. Not everything that was so-called progressive was was wrong. In fact, I I sometimes think I need a little bit of that back in my curriculum and in in my classroom and Deborah's given me that confidence to do that she reminded me that the this you know the children that are sat in front of me they have so much that they're capable of and that if I'm imparting this knowledge it, it's not just for the exam it's it's so that they have an agency for change and I just there was an extract from this from the book where she talks about she's teaching year three in Singapore and they create a mountain community together and they draw it together um there's a village and then they actively use role play to explore how you know how they would protect the people of the village, how much of a danger is the volcano. And basically, by the end of it, through the students actually playing, I suppose, playing the roles, 
using lots of different tasks and techniques, they really, really understood the people, the place, the problem and the possibilities within this topic. And it made me realise that actually I can go back to that again as well. I can take some of these ideas and it's not wrong, it's not progressive, it's not against traditionalism, it's just something that can work and has been proven to work here. It's here, I'm reading it, the passion with which it's written, why not? Why Why completely dismiss everything that I ever did in, in my career when, it, you know, parts of it did work? Um, I mean, we talk here about the power of play. Now, this very much, to be fair, is very based on, you know, your, your early years, your primary school. But I still think it's interesting, this idea of, of principles of being joyful, meaningful, active engagement, you know, social interaction. It, it's made me question, can I still get these principles into my curriculum at a key stage four and I might be able to I might not but the fact is that by reading this it it sort of validated that it's okay to think about these things and it's okay it's not wrong there's not just one way of doing it and I think that had started to become a little bit like there's only one way and actually there's not there's a fantastic chapter on finding coherence across the curriculum called Platts and Umbrellas in chapter three. Again, at the heart of it is an example from when Deborah had to teach the Romans for year four. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. You read it, you connect with it, you feel like you, you, you want to be part of that lesson. It's just absolutely joyful. But Deborah has every opportunity backed it up with research to show that what she was doing actually was evidence informed. But maybe if somebody had been looking in with this very narrow view, might not have realised actually that it was it was working. It's also got beautiful illustrations in this book by um, Gabriel Kidd, which, again, it just makes it a really joyful experience to read. We're all really tired. You know, we're working really hard. Sometimes, you know, depending on who you are, reading isn't, isn't for everybody. Reading books on education, it can be very dense at times. It can be... It can be very, you know, just full of facts and think, how do I then apply these to the classroom? You can feel quite detached from these books. But again, just having the illustrations, having the personal stories in here, you, you go on a journey with Deborah in this book. And by the end of it, you are feeling hopeful and you're feeling almost revolutionary. And I certainly felt like that. I, I felt empowered to go back to my newly designed curriculum based on the evidence that I'd read from the other books and from the research papers and from people on Twitter and just take another look at it again and take it take a look at it through the views through the eyes of Deborah bringing just bringing that human aspect back to it again bringing that aspect of the child back to it again and do you know what? I, I'm not ashamed of that. Deborah Kidd has empowered me to not be ashamed to look back at the great elements of practice that I did used to do and think about, actually, how can I find that compromise between the progressive and the traditionalist and Deborah never uses these terms please don't think that you're going to come across these terms in the book it's not about progressive versus traditionalist at all but it's refreshing what Deborah writes is refreshing there are not many books out there now that celebrate the children 
and that through celebrating the children and what they do with the teacher, then use that to inform our learning. And that's what I loved about it. I just felt like I was having a week of peering in and observing fantastic teaching practice that I could then take away and apply um, into my own context. And that, for me, is what makes this book a curriculum of hope extra special, one that stands out from the crowd. I think read every other one, but read this in order for you to really remind yourself of why we are here and what we do in that classroom and how we do it and to not be swayed by this idea of progressive versus traditionalist. It's it's silly. We don't need it. What we do need is a balanced curriculum, an array of different views supported by research in the classroom. And that's what this does. Experiences in the classroom. So I want to thank Deborah for writing this. I want to thank Gabriel for the fantastic illustrations. It was just such an enjoyable read. And like I said, I really feel hopeful for the future of my teaching, my department, my school, and most importantly, the students that I teach. Please grab yourself a copy. And it's even got fantastic examples of schemes of learning um, set out in different ways at the back that other schools, again, have used. Not ideas, but things that have actually been used. So if you're feeling a little bit down, feeling a little bit stuck, feeling a little bit like your curriculum is hitting a bit of a roadblock, Honestly, read Deborah Kidd's A Curriculum of Hope and it'll just make you see things from a different perspective. And by doing that, hopefully you'll find your way again. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you, Annabelle. It was great to hear your reflections on this book and it was really clear quite how this book has affected you. You're right that there are lots of books out there on the curriculum at the moment and like you, I was late finding this one. I hope this episode might bring it to a few more people. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm Helen Cohen. I am a teacher of over 35 years' experience. You can find me on Twitter at edpleasemiss, all one word but each section with a capitalised first letter. Um and under Dr. Helen Cohen. Also my website, www.pleasemissplease.co.uk. So, as I say, 35 years plus experience of teaching, and that is across all age ranges, from literally early years right through to university lecturing and everything in between. It also means that I have taught in a range of settings. So I've taught in universities, I've taught in schools, I've taught in state, independent, special needs schools, uh, provision, so a, a real range. And on that basis, I really want to recommend A Curriculum of Hope. It's, it's just the most amazing book. I heard about it through one of the people I was tutoring on the NPQ leadership um, course, and they, they mentioned it, and their enthusiasm passed on to me, and I went out and bought it. I read it straight away, and I phoned Deborah Kidd. I was so impressed with what she had to say. So, so why did it impress me so much? It cuts across all the different age ranges, all the different key stages. It cuts across all the different possible demographics of your, of your school. You know, It reaches every child if you teach in this way. Powerful, powerful stuff. The other thing I particularly liked about it is that it doesn't say you've got to get rid of the national curriculum. You've got to get, you know, oh, gosh, you know, you don't want to be pandering to Ofsted or anything like that. It actually works alongside the stuff we're supposed to be doing anyway, and that makes it doubly good. So 
It cuts across all curriculum areas. You can do the various, um, deliver your teaching in ways that involve different curricular areas and bring the children in. It's about engaging the children so they are emotionally invested in their own learning, which is powerful, powerful stuff. It's easy to read. I'm dyslexic. I'm a very, very slow reader, and I read it in just a few days. Um, it's got images throughout. It's got very accessible language. It has the most incredible appendix section where it looks at, um, you know, all different, all different aspects of, you know, different ideas for teaching. So, you know, what is the hook? What's going to get them involved? What's going to engage the children in their learning? Um, Deborah Kidd works often alongside someone called Hal Roberts, and they've got very similar approaches, very much coming at it with stories and narrative and involvement so that children are really invested in their learning. We were asked to um, say a couple of bits that struck us, and I've narrowed it down to three so far. Um, I could just share the whole book. It's just amazing. So one of the things that struck me one of the projects mentioned, this is in the tooling up section, is there's this whole project that's around volcanoes. And there are dilemmas. That's a key part of it. So one of the dilemmas is, you know, we, we, um, we're medics and we need, we need masks. This is the children. We need masks. The um, volcanic ash um, solidifies in the lungs and we've, we've got to give people face masks. As I'm reading it, I'm thinking, this is relevant, you know, face masks. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Um, so the teacher says, how many do we have? And the child says, 120. So the teacher says, but there are 500 people. So there's a long pause, which means the children are thinking. And one of the children turns around and says, we could ask the ladies to use their bras as face masks. We could cut them in two. Now, that obviously made me giggle. Um, and then Deborah Kidd goes on to say, no amount of planning can prepare you for that. But being aware of the need for questions that push children further, building spaces for thinking time, demonstrating with poker-faced conviction that the child is perfectly capable of solving the problems you're throwing their way. All of these things create the conditions under which the child will often surprise. Giving a little information, but not quite enough, pressing upon them the urgency of a situation, but within the safe space of playfulness, and constantly but carefully folding facts into the story so that they shine with the polish of being immediately useful and relevant to the situation we're in. These all make the learning deeply memorable. We're not mucking about here. This is serious play. Now, thinking about those words, you know, this is about embedding learning. This isn't about learning which is subject-specific and therefore only applies if you happen to be in an English lesson. This is learning that cuts across different areas of life, different areas of the curriculum, and therefore becomes real and relevant, and that is why I love this book. It, it helps you to make your learning real to the children. Um, there's several other, other bits. Um, there's a bit where she talks about aspects of um, curriculum. You need coherence, credibility, creativity. We need creativity in our curriculums. Um, Compassion, community, it's making it real, it's making it applicable, it's making it apply to children and ways in which children can feel connected and involved, which is such an important part of what we should be doing in school. It's not about teaching to the test. Too much of what we do is about teaching to the test. And then teachers can get bogged down in, well, if I don't teach to the test, how, you know, how are they going to pass the test? If we give our children the skills and the wherewithal to tackle problems, to cope with dilemmas, they're not only going to be able to pass the test, but they're also going to be able to cope with being active and relevant and effective members of the society in which they live. So it's important on so many levels. One of the other things I wanted to talk about is um, in the tooling up section again, um, she talks about placing the story in a frame because stories or plots or dra uh, they're dramas, and dramas involve human beings in a mess. They involve dilemmas. If there's a dilemma, you have to do some thinking, and, and that's what this is about. 
So there's a lovely little illustration on page 35 where you've got one box says people. Who is the human being in the mess? Who else might have an alternative perspective on, in the story? Now, that's important. You know, in this volcano one, you've got medics, but you've got you know, geologists, you've got farmers, you've got all different roles for people to play. And that's very real. The place, where and when does this take place? How does the setting and time create opportunities for learning? The problem, what is the mess? Where are the tensions and complications and difficulties? It's out of those things that the child learns. The child thinks for themselves. The child becomes creative and logical in their thinking. And what are the possibilities? What are the solutions? How do the solutions drive possibilities for other curriculum coverage? So you can cover various areas of the curriculum by doing this. It reminded me of a project I did when I first started teaching, um, which is, as I say, over 35 years ago. And the, there were going to be school closures in the area, and we were expressly told we are not allowed to discuss these schools. But all the children wanted to do was to discuss the schools. And I remember creating a place called Schoolville, and I gave different children different roles. Some were parents, some were children, some were teachers, some were governors, some were local politicians. And what they had to do was we enacted it. We, we, we argued it out. We had all these different scrappers, which just so happened the same characteristics of the schools that were in our area. And we, we involved all sorts of aspects of how to present to present viewpoints, what were the parents thinking, what were the children thinking, how might the, te the teacher's perspective could be about job security, you know, all these things were discussed. I've done that in several ways, but this book, A Curriculum of Hope by Deborah Kidd, brings it all together and it enables us as teachers, it gives us the tools as teachers to then deliver our curriculum in a way that is emotionally engaging for children. They're emotionally invested in it and they learn right the way across the curriculum and they learn about their learning how to learn how to think and that in itself will actually help with the data that we have to produce i can't recommend this book highly enough you're listening to from page to practice join the conversation on twitter using hashtag page practice podcast Thanks, Helen. It's interesting to hear about the key things you took away, especially about making learning real and relevant. My name is Dr. Cyrus Nayuri. I'm a visiting tutor for the Geography PGCE course at King's College London. I'm also a teacher of geography at Latimer Upper School in London. I want to outline some of the reasons why A Curriculum of Hope by Deborah Kidd is such a fascinating and intriguing book for educators. I want to provide a summary of the key points that I've taken away from the book and end with some questions and thoughts which I still have intention and that still remain. A curriculum of hope is first and foremost not a checklist or tick box of what a curriculum should be or include. It's not a kind of toolkit for how we should construct a curriculum either it doesn't tell us about how we should create progress in the curriculum, for example. It doesn't tell us that we should start with simplistic concepts and perhaps move to something more advanced over time. It also doesn't tell us about how we might sequence a curriculum, or it doesn't really tell us much about um, some more of the sort of technical aspects of how a curriculum is constructed. What it does do, however, is it provides, and I would argue more importantly, an ethos as how we as teachers with our own passions and subject knowledge and thoughts on how the curriculum should be constructed should harness that for the best purpose of the of the children and the communities that we, we work in. So what makes this book so different and special from the outset is that Deborah is impassioned about the curriculum. She makes her own views clear all the way throughout. As I said, this isn't a technical exercise of, 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 of the kind of that we might find in a how-to guide. These are Deborah's thoughts, which clearly come from her own experience and her education and where she's lived and the school she's taught at. And she doesn't hide that. Her own personality and her own enthusiasm for, for teaching comes through the pages. She is in and of 
the ideas that she speaks of. Now, what she does in that is immensely powerful because she makes herself vulnerable in the sense that her whole book is about being authentic and responsive and also taking risks. And she puts her own self in the book, which I think is a rare thing. And one where she posts her lesson plans, she puts down her own thoughts, the lessons she's taught and her own reflections. And in that way, she's very generous about the ideas that, that she puts forward. And I think that in in and of itself makes it quite special um, and, um, and important. It also constructs Deborah as a leader in this book, someone who really is impassioned about curriculum curriculum change and what it should be without hiding behind some kind of veil of objectivity or the neutrality of curriculum curricula um, so whilst a curriculum of hope is a book all about the curricula it's also an ethos and a set of orientations through which we might call the politics of curriculum might be might be played out now, Deborah doesn't use the term politics of curriculum, um, but what, what it means to me is the idea that a curricula, curriculum in any subject are shaped by the context through which it's created. That might be the school, it might be the senior leadership, it might be the broader community, it might be the parents and parental attitudes and, and outlooks. But our curricula have have a politics to them whether we like it or not they are shaped through, in and through the way we teach them and what's quite surprising and, and and wonderful is is the way that this the politics that deborah is espousing come through and deborah argues that we need this new form of of curriculum making which is more adaptable to the to the nature of the world at the moment we have climate change we have unrest, we have political change, uh, we have Brexit, we have um, coronavirus. And what that means for, for, for Deborah is that education and our children's knowledge, the children that we teach, needs to be able to adapt to this changing world. So knowledge and skills need to be adaptable. Our, the, our students need to be able to cobble together bits of knowledge be practical and rooted and be able to draw ideas together, to have the skills to think about what matters to the community and themselves and their homes and, the, and their environment. So this is the kind of impetus and the reason why we need this change or orientation in towards the curriculum. It's because the world is changing. And as Deborah outlines, some People have multiple different kinds of careers and different jobs. So we need to be able to actually embrace and give the students we teach the knowledge that allows them to be able to be adaptable. I'm thinking in my own school about how students have turned their hands to making visors for the NHS during coronavirus, applying the knowledge and skills that are obviously necessary to learn how to use machinery and how to, um, and how to design uh, visors, but also to be able to draw together the kind of the importance of, 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 of why that's necessary and how to, uh, how to organise a team and how to distribute that. So this is a kind of shift away from just fixed knowledge for the sake of it to how can we use knowledge that matters and how can we make that knowledge matter to the communities that we uh, of, of, of students and people that we work with so if that's the reason then there are several different kinds of um, ways of getting there that Deborah outlines through the different chapters of her book and I just want to summarize them in the way that I feel they um, they come to me so for Deborah, the curriculum should not be a deadened kind of artefact. It should pop and fizz and come off uh, the page in the way that we teach. It should be something that really engages students. It should matter to them. Knowledge shouldn't be just taught for the sake of it. It shouldn't be sort of deadened because we need to teach this, this and this because it always, always has been taught. It should be the kinds of knowledge and skills that students want to go home, apply, try out, build something, tell their parents about. And the kind of knowledge that we as teachers feel is important in our own settings, that's important to teach. 
a second aspect um, is that a curriculum should generate more questions. It shouldn't just be, okay, we've passed through a series of steps and we've got there. Uh, it should be uh, an opportunity for students to actually, by the end of it, ask more questions about the world, be more inquisitive, be more curious. So this is knowledge which isn't sort of fixed and bounded. It's about inculcating a sense of inquiry, inquisitiveness, a love of learning that spills out beyond the curriculum. How many of us actually try and apply that to the classroom and think, what does it look like to have a curriculum that actually overspills you know, the, the narrow period of time that we're teaching it? How do we capture the questions and the new ideas that students generate that actually we didn't think of ourselves as teachers? I'd love to see that in my own classroom develop and I'd be really interested to see how we actually can assess these new ways of thinking that might be more creative and go beyond the curriculum. Um, this is, the next point is, this is a curriculum that's not just the product of a teacher's mind or the product of the professional body in a school. This is a curriculum that's responsive to the needs of children and informed by children. It's a curriculum that is actually children themselves and their own ideas shape and can come to to bear on the on the curriculum um how that works in practice i don't know and i'm not sure whether deborah really makes that clear in the book but the mechanism through which children themselves might shape a curriculum other than perhaps beyond a conversation or looking at books would be really fascinating to explore how we take that further but certainly the idea is that the curriculum no longer is just something out there that children are you know, recipients of. Um, and a, a, further, a further kind of point that I think comes out of Deborah's work is that we learn through our whole bodies. So the idea of children in seats just capturing knowledge in books is not necessarily the only way to learn. It might be part of it, but we learn through play. We learn through our senses. Our students learn through... Um, not only being in school, but we learn they learn through being at home and through perhaps going on marches and protests and thinking about the food they eat and thinking about writing letters. So the whole world is, is, is a learning experience. So there's two things there. We learn through our senses, our whole body, not just our brains, and we learn not only in school. And how do we capture that so that the whole, uh, that the whole lives of, of of the children we teach as an experience, learning experience, is something really interesting. It's especially interesting given coronavirus has meant limited group work, limiting interactions in terms of um, the amazing activities we often do in the classroom. But for me, that's meant trying to get my uh, geography students to think about their local area more, taking pictures of rivers or applying the concepts to maybe where they live. Um, but how do we actually get, get, get our students to engage with the world, to, uh, to, to learn through their senses, to kind of go and explore in the soil, um, is I think what Deborah's trying to get at. So it's about curiosity and it's about learning through the whole body. Finally, I just want to end with a few uh, personal reflections. One critique of this um, work is that it, it doesn't explicitly talk about... Um, ideas of anti-racism or Black Lives Matter. And of course, that's not because um, it's an omission, I don't think. It's because one of the strengths of this work is that it's an ethos through which we might um, and can address some of the issues of glaring inequality or racism or um, the climate emergency. So the, the, the content of this book, A Curriculum of Hope, is not about teaching any particular area. It's about how we might actually make our teaching more in tune with the environments that are around us. So in that way, it meshes really well with a lot of these topics that we're discussing in schools. And if we can apply it, actually might make us as teachers and our students more in tune with the communities and the environments that we teach in. One final thought is, of course, this book is entitled A Curriculum of Hope. Now, hope for kid is a, the kind of ethos, if you like, through which we might adapt some of these ways of thinking. 
But hope is a complex term. Hope is future-orientated. It's the way that we think about making a better future. Um, and I'm curious as to whether hope is really the way that we can get at some of these things um, to actually implement them in our own world, in our own classroom, because a lot of this is tough work. Um, a lot of this work depends on the teaching, the, the senior management. It depends on our communities as to how progressive, if you like, we can be. So it requires hard work, but it also requires, I'm not sure whether it's hope or whether it's actually just a more engaged, down-to-earth, embodied um, engagement with our communities. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm questioning whether hope is the term, even though I, I know, I also feel the hope of, 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 of the book. Um, so I'll leave it as that. Um, overall, I really um, think that this book deserves to have the readership um, and, the, and the engagement um, and that uh, through which more and more teachers can apply it to their own co uh, communities and, and, and schools. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks, Cyrus. What I especially liked about your contribution was the questions you raised, and I hope this is something that can help other readers when they're forming their own thoughts. Now on to our final contribution of the episode. Hello, my name is Harriet White, and I'm a lecturer in education at Exeter University. And I bought this book, Deborah Kidd's book, um, A Curriculum of Hope, on a recommendation from a colleague who suggested that I model my PTCE course on it. And when I read it, I found myself thinking, this is exactly what we all need right now. Um, the, the transdisciplinary um, learning inquiries based on the children's interests, um, looking at how uh, they can use their imagination to cultivate trust and meaningful learning experiences, um, the cultivation of hope, really. And um, it's just so critical right now. I used um I did use the chapter on Mars with my PGC cohort is for primary for primary science uh, as a means of demonstrating what's possible um without a huge amount of extra planning in a primary classroom and we subsequently zoomed to Mars and learned about forces and um I work a lot in sustainability education where it, uh, there is an urgent need for hope when so many young people have a a rather pessimistic view of climate change and um, consequently many lack a sense of empowerment and agency um, and this book is exactly um, the tonic to that I think um, to empower children to be courageous and radical and hopeful which is really what the world urgently needs right now. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Harriet, for your brief and to-the-point message which rounds off today's episode. As I said earlier, it's a tricky time for From Page to Practice, as every episode relies on a range of people being willing to step forward and share their reflections, and understandably, this takes a little bit of time. However, it is easy, and if you're able to spare 10 minutes to record, you know how much other listeners appreciate it or you wouldn't even be listening yourself now. So, coming up, we have Mary Myatt's The Curriculum from Gallimore Free to Coherence, coming on the 27th of December. I'm still after readers to share, so please get in touch via Twitter at BexN91 or at PagePracticePod, or on Instagram at PagePracticePodcast. The first episodes of 2021 will be walkthroughs by Tom Sherrington and Oliver Caviglioli, Connecting the Dots by Trisha Taylor, Alex Quigley's Closing the Reading Gap, and How Learning Happens by Paul Kirchner and Carl Hendrick. The schedule for the rest of the year is still to be planned, so if you have any suggestions at all, please let me know. I've started an Amazon wishlist, so you can see some of the books I intend to cover there. It's the pinned tweet at pagepracticepod. Finally, a huge thank you to the lovely people who have continued to show their support via my Buy Me A Coffee link. It means a lot. That's all for now, and I'll see you on the 27th for another curriculum book, this time with Mary Myatt. 
you've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash pagepracticepodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.